Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 and stand with me for God's Word. What a privilege it is to have our very own Bibles and be able to read God's Word. And if you ever, if you ever wonder if God can use you because of your history or if God is really in control, Matthew chapter 1 ought to be a huge, huge encouragement. We're going to read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God, and please be seated. You know, last week we led off our study of Matthew with a look at Jesus' family tree, which showed his unique qualifications as the Messiah, as the promised Savior, the, the King of grace. And the many names we saw in that genealogy shows how God uses all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. He sovereignly uses them in his grace for his purposes. That's good news and it's hope for those who think that their history might disqualify them from serving God. Now today we're addressing the virgin birth of Christ, which shows the miraculous nature of Christ's conception and his birth. This is one of the biggies, biblically speaking. Uh, But I would venture to guess that most of you do not think about the virgin birth very often. It's not one of those things you're thinking about on a daily basis. And you might even say it doesn't seem to be too applicable to daily life. You know, it's a, it's a doctrinal uh, question. It's a doctrinal discussion. And, and we're concerned with bills to pay and mouths to feed and issues to solve and life to deal with. Or it's a Christmas story. And we've got, we've got relationships to mend and laundry to do. But what I hope you'll see today is that the virgin birth speaks to issues we deal with. To hopes and dreams and disappointments and the need to trust God over our own own understanding. Now all that to say, the virgin birth of Christ has fallen on hard times. You listen to liberal theologians or the average man on the street, and you'd think that it was made up by delusional people who were trying to make Jesus more than what he really is. What most people today don't know is that most Christians accepted the virgin birth without question until the 19th century. And then it became a pivotal issue in the discussion and the debate 
about the divinity of Jesus, whether he's God or not, and about whether miracles really happen or not, whether supernatural occurrences really happen. And so people began to reinterpret Jesus as a good teacher, as one example among many. Sadly, a view that many hold today. And so skepticism of the virgin birth led to seeing it not only as unnecessary, but also untrue as well. And it affected the church. Since that time, there has been a steady decline in the number of people who profess to be Bible-believing Christians who deny, who believe, excuse me, a decline in the number who, who believe that the virgin birth really happened. Contrary to public opinion, though, the virgin birth is alive and well and necessary for Christians to believe. If you say you believe the Bible, you know, uh, the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, then you must accept the virgin birth. If you don't believe the virgin birth, you deny the deity of Christ, that he is God. If you deny the deity of Christ, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that is, that is uh, shown in Scripture. You've got to make sure you believe in the Jesus of Scripture. My hope today is that you will gain a better understanding of who Jesus is and what he does. Leading to a more Christ-centered and, and God-honoring biblical view of both life and eternity. What I want us to do is first look at the story, how it reads in Matthew, and then why the virgin birth. And what the virgin birth was and wasn't. And then lastly, what does it do for us? What's the virgin birth do? Now Matthew and Luke uh, give two complementary but independent accounts of the birth of Jesus. Luke tells the story from Mary's uh, standpoint. Matthew from Joseph's. Matthew starts, with, uh, starts the story with the betrothal. You see it in verse 18. In verse 18 we read this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now this little phrase, was as follows, means these are the facts. This is how it really happened. This is what happened. Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. But it was more than the engagements that we know of today, where you could break it, and you know, no harm, no foul. This was called a betrothal, and it, mean, it was a firm commitment. And it would usually... Uh, be entered into one year prior to marriage and it was a legally binding agreement it was it was the same accountability as marriage now during that year the girl would live with her parents live at the home that she grew up but it was really the first part of the marriage now the second part of the marriage took place when the man would take his wife to his home now, before that stage, before the second stage, Mary turns up pregnant. And Joseph is not the father. We got a problem here. It looked bad for Joseph. It looked bad for Mary. So Joseph didn't know that Mary was, was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. All he knew was that she was pregnant. He was faced with a shameful-looking situation. What was he going to do? Now, he probably found out that Mary was pregnant after she began to show. Luke tells us that Mary, as soon as she got the announcement from the angel that she would be the mother of the Messiah, she went off and spent three months with her relative Elizabeth. 
And so, most likely, Joseph finds out, and she's already beginning to show. Now, Mary, uh, speaking with Elizabeth, uh, you see Elizabeth's reaction. She took Mary's account as fact. In fact, go to Luke chapter 1 with me. In Luke chapter 1, when Mary visits Elizabeth, her relative, and she goes there, and in verse 41, it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. That would be, that would be uh, John the Baptist <laughs> leaping in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, speaking to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened that the mother of my Lord, she's talking about Jesus before he's ever born, the mother of my Lord, how is it that, that you would come and visit me? Elizabeth takes Mary's account of the, of the situation as fact. Everything was on the up and up. But how was Joseph to know that? It didn't look that way. Now verse 19 tells us that Joseph was a just man. He was righteous. What that means is he followed the law. He was devoted to God. He was devoted to God's standards. It's the same word used of Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. And of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. And so Joseph decides, being a just man, being a righteous man that that follows what God says, he decides to do what any God-honoring man would do in his situation. He's going to end the marriage. Now, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, a betrothed woman could be punished as an adulteress. She was no longer eligible to be married to her betrothed. He even had the option of demanding her death. But Joseph, being righteous, being just, he knew he couldn't go through the marriage. Couldn't go through with it. But he didn't want to deal harshly with her. If you look at this, it says that it's very easy to think of it this way. Well, he was was a righteous man, and that's why he didn't want to disgrace Mary. That's not what it means. It's he was a righteous man, and he didn't want to disgrace Mary. And he knew that as a righteous man, he was going to follow what God said. And if he, held, if he did what God said to a T, she would be disgraced publicly. She'd be ruined. But he was also a merciful man, a kind man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly. A public divorce would ruin her. Josephus, writing of the Jews, said this, divorce was social status. A public divorce would ruin Mary. And so Joseph, who was merciful, going along with Psalm 37, verse 21, that says, the righteous is gracious and gives. He gives to Mary the gift of just wanting to end it privately. To to end it privately rather than make it a public ordeal. Now, in those days, you could privately end a betrothal, an engagement, prior uh, to the, the second stage of marriage, before a minimum of two witnesses, if you could show just cause. And by all appearances... Joseph had just cause. So that's what he was going to do. And what you see is that God let him, uh, let him stew on that for a while. God let him struggle with that issue and, and come to a decision before he intervened. 
It reminds us that even the best human reasoning often falls short of God's plan. But an angel of God intervenes with an amazing announcement given through a dream to Joseph. And here was the announcement. That Joseph should go ahead and marry Mary. Because she was pregnant by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the angel told him. That was the truth. Now when Mary got that news, originally, we see Luke talk about this, when Mary got the news from the angel that she would be the mother of the Messiah and that the Holy Spirit would, would bring that about, you know, she responds, how can this be? How can this be because I am a virgin? Literally, I know no man. And the angel says this, gives some more in, information. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You can compare that to other events in Scripture when God did a miraculous thing. You take creation, the creation of the world, when the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters in Genesis 1. Or when God's presence overshadowed the tabernacle with the cloud in Exodus 40. Or the transfiguration in Luke 9. It was going to be a supernatural occurrence. Now the angel, he calls Joseph the son of David. The name used of Jesus in chapter 1. Indicating him being of a kingly line of the royal house of David, related to David. It was an expression of dignity. And the angel says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go ahead and marry her. That, that expression, don't be afraid, means don't shrink from doing this. Don't shrink from doing something. The angel tells him that Mary will have a son. And that, that he, Joseph, is to name the boy Jesus. And it says that, that he, Jesus, would be the one who would save his people from their sins. Now the name Jesus was a common name. It means Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves. But it was a common name. But this name had meaning. That he would be the person who would save his people from their sins. Uh, the, word, the usage of the word he means he and no other will be the one who saves his people from their sins. God's grace once again. God providing a savior to deal with man's sin. Now everything that happened in this story was in keeping with what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 7.14, that the virgin would be with child and would bear a son, and they would call his name Emmanuel, God with us. See, the fulfillment of Scripture is something that Matthew took very seriously. He points out often in his gospel. He uses the, the, the framework of this happened to fulfill Scripture 11 times in this gospel. He took prophecy very seriously. He refers to 40 Old Testament predictions in this gospel. Now, each one of those predictions had a, a, a short-term fulfillment in the generation to which it was given. But no matter what, what short-term fulfillment there was, Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of each one of them. They found their ultimate fulfillment in Christ, who is Emmanuel, the translated God with us. Interesting, nobody ever called Jesus Emmanuel. They didn't say, hey, Emmanuel, come here for a second. You know, I need to talk to you. They didn't call him Emmanuel. It wasn't his name in the way that Jesus was his name. It was in the sense that all that was involved 
in that name found its fulfillment in him. That it was in the sense that Jesus is no less than God with us right now. And that we have his promises that he will be with us to the end of the age. To the end. That's a reason for confidence. And for dependence on God. And for security. And for assurance. That God is with us. Emmanuel. Now because of the, the angel's message to him. Joseph didn't go along with plan A. He didn't, he didn't end the marriage. He, he married Mary. We see his obedience to God's instructions. The first thing he did is he publicly accepted Mary as his wife, despite appearances. He took upon himself any shame, any misunderstanding that might come his way, that might follow, because of him marrying a woman that was already pregnant. He didn't have marital relations with his wife until after Jesus was born. You might see this word until, and you think, oh, it's just a little inconsequential word. It's a very important word. In fact, it's a distinctive word to Matthew. He uses it 48 times in his gospel, the word until. It signifies that after the birth of Jesus, normal marital activities began. You know what I mean, if you're old enough. Uh, He... He called his name Jesus, verse 25. Now, usually a parent would choose the name of a child. But God chose Christ's name. God chose Christ's name for a reason. But by giving the name, Joseph was officially accepting the child. He officially adopted Jesus as his son. In fact, go to Isaiah 43 with me. Isaiah 43. God is speaking... And God is is saying that those that belong to him, that he knows them. It says this, Now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you in, in, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God says to his own, I have called you by name. You are mine. And, And Joseph, taking... And and naming Jesus, he is saying to this child, you are mine. I've called you by name. And Joseph's actions speak loudly today as a great example for men. In a time where men often don't stand up and take initiative and initiate, Joseph manned up big time. Joseph, Joseph stood in, he accepted Mary, he adopted Jesus, And he was willing to live with man's false assumptions about how that birth came about because he had God's explanation on it. He had God's approval. And so he was willing to take the hits, humanly speaking. And that's where he was going to live. Now, a common question as it relates to this story is why the virgin birth? Why did it have to be a virgin birth? I mean, that's an oxymoron, right? Virgin birth. Why is it so important to our faith? And the first thing is, it happened to fulfill the plan of God. The predetermined plan of God. In fact, go to Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2. When on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in great power, and 3,000 souls were saved in one day, 
Peter stood up and he preached. He stood up and he preached. And what you see is in the preaching of the gospel, the fact is it was able to come about what Jesus did because the virgin, in the virgin birth, God brought the Savior to play in human affairs, brought him into the world. Look what Peter says. Look at verse 14, Acts 2, 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out of my spirit on all mankind. In the virgin birth, the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. And your, descent, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The, the, Jesus being born in fulfillment of prophecy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. An angel coming to Joseph in a dream and speaking to him. And then he says, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. See the virgin birth and allusions to the virgin birth. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles. The first of which being the virgin birth. How about when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus? Look at John chapter 3. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, he was a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and he asked him a question. This is the context where Jesus says, you must be born again. But here's what he says first. He says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. Another allusion to the virgin birth. He came from God. God in the flesh. You see, the virgin birth revealed who Jesus is. That the eternal glory that Christ had before the foundation of the world presupposes that the way that he would come into the world would be in a way that acknowledged as well as supported his being fully God, his being sinless, his being perfect, not tainted by sin, with no sin nature and no propensity to sin. He was the one sent by God to save. The virgin birth happened to fulfill the plan of God, revealing who Jesus is, God in the flesh, God with us. The virgin birth also meant fulfillment of Scripture. It was meant to fulfill Scripture. We saw it earlier, even in, in just in Isaiah 7, 14, that, that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, that God had spoken, that God had foretold something, and Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the answer to it. Why would God give such a detailed defense of the virgin birth, of the divine nature of Christ? It's because he is separate from Adam's race. He's the eternal word of God made flesh who dwelt among us, prepared by God himself. The one prophesied to come. The one who would save his people. He is the second Adam. Uniquely prepared by the Father. In contrast to the rest of the human race, which was under the curse of sin, held by its power, subject to its penalty, See, the virgin birth was a great apologetic tool for Matthew. And it is for us as well, too. It answers the question, how could the man Jesus die for the sins of the world? Because he's God, that's why. 
That's how. And the virgin birth fulfilled the plan of God. The virgin birth fulfilled the word of God. But culturally and relationally, it caused some big problems. Some really big problems for Joseph and Mary. See, what the virgin birth was on the surface is that it was scandalous. It looked bad for Joseph and Mary. There was an an appearance of impropriety. That Mary was thought to be impure. That her reputation was ruined. That her good name was soiled. There, There are allusions in Scripture to innuendos about how Jesus' birth came about. In fact, go to John chapter 8 with me. John chapter 8. In the context when Jesus is, is saying that I am the light of the world. When he is talking about the truth setting you free. Here are some of the things he said. It's like when someone's talking to you and they're, and they're giving you truth. But there's innuendos that are jabs inside of that truth. Look at John chapter 8 at verse 19. Jesus is talking about how he testifies about himself. The Father testifies about him. Look at verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Now Jesus answers, you don't know me or my father. And he's speaking of God the Father. But there's a little innuendo here, a little slide jab. Where is your father? Now look over at verse 41. He's saying to them, you are Abraham's children, but you're not doing the deeds of Abraham. You're not believing. He says, you're doing the deeds of your father. And he's speaking of the devil. Look what they say in in verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. Alluding to the fact that they thought he was. People didn't forget how Jesus came about. Not everybody believed the virgin birth, just like they don't today. It was scandalous. It was a scandal, and it would have followed, through, it would have followed them and even followed Jesus. And it was countercultural. Joseph lived in a culture that expected him to divorce Mary when he found out she was pregnant and he wasn't the father. That was expected. To marry her would be like admitting that he was the father. Or that he had relations with her before they were married. Either way he loses. Either way he's seen as the guy who's wrong. So it was countercultural for him to go and, and marry Mary. He lived in a culture that valued honor. That would say to him that you should go look for a more faithful potential wife. But you see, things aren't always as they seem on the surface, are they? We make snap judgments about people, about their motives even, based upon the outward appearance or what they do without knowing the whole story or why, as if we could see inside their hearts and know why they did it. It was scandalous. It was countercultural. But digging deeper, we see that it was miraculous. It was a miracle. It was a supernatural occurrence brought about by God himself. It was miraculous. And it was God honoring. 
100% pure and holy. That God was well pleased with Mary, as he said. That she was pure, not unclean, as was thought. That Mary and Joseph demonstrated the character that God wants to see in his servants. Godliness. Merciful concern for the good of others. The virgin birth was scandalous. It was countercultural. It was miraculous. It was God-honoring. Contrary to public opinion. What the virgin birth wasn't, what it wasn't is it wasn't meant to elevate Mary. It wasn't a rationale to venerate Mary. God says, I am God and there is no other. My glory I will not give to another. And one way people elevate Mary is by saying she remained a perpetual virgin. That the marriage between she and Joseph was never consummated and that she remained a virgin her entire life. That's false. There was no perpetual virginity of Mary. It says that, Ma- uh, that Joseph kept her a virgin until Jesus was born. Signifying that after he was born, normal activity in the marriage began. That God intends intimacy in marriage. There was no perpetual virginity for Mary. Another thing that many believe falsely is that Mary was born without sin and lived without sinning. It's called the Immaculate Conception. Oftentimes people confuse that with the virgin birth. It's not the virgin birth. The Immaculate Conception says that Mary was conceived without original sin and its stain. Immaculate meaning without stain. It is said falsely that from the first instant of its creation the soul of Mary by special intervention of God was free from sin that she was sinless that's totally untrue that's false that's man-made there was no immaculate conception that and the perpetual virginity idea are unbiblical people believing the Bible know it's false Bible believing people can see right through that We see in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Mary herself said, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My Savior. Only a sinner needs a Savior. And Mary was chosen to be the mother of Jesus, the Savior she needed too. That all who are saved are saved by grace through faith in Christ. I hope that's where you're at today. I hope that's where you're at. Now, I said it earlier that you probably don't think about the virgin birth very much. It's probably not something that's been on your mind a lot. And and you're like, well, it's not Christmas, so why are we even there? Well, hey, we're going through the book of Matthew, and we started with the genealogy, and we're going to go through every word. It's that God put it all here for a reason. But but you might not think that the virgin birth uh, has much to say to you on, on a daily basis, but I'm here to tell you it's got implications. And it's got implications for daily life. So what does the virgin birth do? A a firm belief in the virgin birth of Christ instills confidence in who God is and what he does. Confidence in who God is and what he does. Now you may think, and it's totally understandable, that how can I believe such a far-fetched story? How How can I even believe this? Well, at the end of the day, you've got to take it on faith. You've got to take it by faith. 
that Jesus was born and it was miraculous and Mary and Joseph responded in faith, believing God instead of their own understanding. One writer said this about the virgin birth. The exact nature of the, of the virginal conception, historical as it was, is ultimately a miraculous mystery incomprehensible to mere mortals and to, believe by, to be believed by faith. The same way we believe the other miracle accounts in Scripture. So you have to believe in miracles to be a Christian. You can't get around that. See, if you deny the virgin birth, the incarnation, God becoming man, the God the Son becoming man, will get really fuzzy to you. And, and you'll have trouble with the other IONs of, of biblical faith. Such as creation. God making all things out of nothing. That's miraculous. The attestation. Christ's miracle-filled life on earth. The crucifixion. Christ substituting himself for sinners. The resurrection. Christ coming back to life from the dead. That's miraculous. The ascension. Christ going back up to heaven. The all things we believe by faith. So believing the virgin birth of Christ gives you confidence that God is who he says he is. And he does amazing things. And it also leads to an abiding dependence on God. An abiding dependence on God. You see, Joseph had to live with one of two misunderstandings. Humanly speaking, that either he had relations with Mary prior to them being married, or she had been unfaithful. Either way, there was a, a shameful stigma attached to Joseph. Now, it's commonly thought that Joseph died before Jesus began his earthly ministry. And if that's true, it is possible that Joseph lived his whole life under a cloud of suspicion. Never vindicated here on earth. In God's sight, a righteous and, and, and just man in the world's an immoral man or a foolish man. It's interesting to note that, that, that Joseph lived what his adopted son later taught. Joseph denied himself and followed God. Shades of Jesus saying, you want to follow me? Deny yourself, disown yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That Joseph, before his son ever taught it, lived that. He denied himself and he followed God. He's an unsung hero of the Christian faith. His hope was in God. It shows us that what we see here on earth is not all there is. You see, there are many things in life. Physical challenges, emotional challenges, relational hardships, misunderstandings that we wish could be eliminated. But they remain. The fact that they remain and are not taken out of the way or one more thing to show us how much we need Jesus. And that, all, that, that what we see here on earth is not all there is. 
that our hope isn't here on earth, it is in heaven. God's a God of miracles. God does miracles. Nothing is impossible with God. He is the God of the humanly impossible, the unexplainable, the unattainable. That everything can't be explained merely in human terms. That there are things that belong only to God. They rest with Him. You see, Joseph didn't have time to do a theological study of the virgin birth. He lived it in real time, just like we live life. It comes at you, and you respond. And Joseph's confidence and dependence was in God. Firmly rooted in who God is and what he does. Maybe there's a part of your life that has become overwhelming. And you see no human solution. We live in uncertain times. A lot of foundations have been shaken in our country in the last eight years. Just last week, a lot of uh, financial foundations were shaken. You might be sitting there now and going, well, my whole retirement account that I've been saving for years is gone. Or partially gone. Maybe you've lost your job and you see no options on the horizon. See, one thing that cannot be shaken or taken from you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know Christ, is that God is with you. God is with you. And maybe God wants you to see more who Jesus is in the midst of the thing you wish would go away or come your way that isn't. And maybe he wants you to see a fresh glimpse of Jesus and who he really is through it, not apart from it. And maybe the issue won't change. But God will change your heart. His grace is sufficient for you. Jesus is God with us. Trust that. Let's pray. Lord God, we we praise you for how good you are. We praise you, Lord, that you are God with us. And in our braver moments, we believe it and know it and stand so strong on it. And in our weaker moments, we flounder. And, and we need you to carry us and pick us up. And we want to trust, Lord, that no matter what, we want to be able to say, Lord, no matter what, we're going to believe you're with us, and that's going to be enough, and that's going to be all right. We pray, Lord, for your grace truly live that.